Demand shortfall casts doubt on early austerity. July the 6th, 2010. Fiscal default is nigh, insist the doomsayers. Repent and retrench before it is too late. Yet I have a question. Do we believe that markets are unable to price anything right? Even the public debt of the world's largest advanced countries? The best understood and most liquid assets in the world? I suggest not. Markets are saying something important. On Monday, the yield on 10-year government bonds was 1.1% in Japan, 2.6% in Germany, 3% in the US, and 3.3% in the UK. Based on yields on index-linked securities, real interest rates on borrowing by these governments are very low, 1.2% or less in the US, Germany and UK. Investors are saying that they view the risk of depression and deflation as far greater than that of default or inflation. Why should it be so easy to fund such huge fiscal deficits even after central banks have stopped their buying of government bonds? In response, here is a calculation that can be readily derived from the figures for fiscal and current account balances in the latest economic outlook from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. The private sector, that is households and corporations together, of advanced countries is forecast to run an excess of income over spending this year of 7% of gross domestic product. In round numbers, this is $3 trillion. In the US and Eurozone, the implied private surplus is about a $1 trillion in each case. In Japan, it is about $500 billion. In the UK, it is $200 billion. Focus on the $3 trillion. This, then, is the amount by which the private sectors of the advanced countries are forecast to increase their net claims on governments and foreigners in 2010. That means massive private retrenchment with corporations particularly frugal at the moment. Where could this money go? A possibility might be to the emerging countries. One might imagine, for example, that advanced countries eliminated their fiscal deficits but maintained these huge private surpluses. That would then mean an aggregate current account surplus of $3 trillion, or 7% of GDP again. The OECD region would then have become a mega-Germany. Rich countries would be pouring capital into the poorer ones. In practice, however, we know that this is not going to happen. Far from running a current account deficit of $3 trillion, emerging countries are actually forecast to run a surplus. The latest estimate from the Washington-based Institute for International Finance is for an aggregate surplus of about $300 billion this year, two-thirds of which will be generated by China alone. This is smaller than two years before, but it still means that the emerging world will also be a net provider of capital to advanced countries, just like the private sector, and not the other way round. That is not all. According to the IIF, 
the net flow of private funds from advanced countries to emerging countries will itself be close to $700 billion this year. But that will be almost entirely offset by an official outflow in the form of foreign currency reserves of close to $600 billion. These huge official interventions prevent the emergence of the large net capital inflows into emerging countries. Instead, the private sectors of the advanced countries accumulate net claims on the private sectors of emerging countries, while the governments of emerging countries accumulate offsetting claims on the governments of advanced countries. The bottom line is clear. There exists at present a gigantic net flow of funds into the liabilities of the governments of advanced countries. Of course, some countries can still get into difficulties. But it is quite wrong to argue that the difficulties of a Greece or a Spain entail difficulties ahead for the US or even the UK. The opposite is far more likely. Flight from risk entails flight into something less risky. What then is the least perilous asset for the investment of gigantic private financial surpluses? The only answer has to be the public debt of the big advanced countries. These flows of funds consist, of course, only of identities. But what are the causal factors? Maybe the collapse in private spending in the wake of the financial crisis was caused by terror of the fiscal deficits to come. And then maybe the moon is made of green cheese. There is also next to no sign of crowding out in capital markets. The plausible hypothesis, then, is that the fiscal deficits were a response to the collapsing desire to spend of the crisis-hit private sector. Fiscal policy could have been tighter, but the result would merely have been a depression. What, then, of the future? Suppose there is no significant change of policy in emerging countries. Then if a fiscal contraction in advanced countries is not to cause a sharp slowdown, even a second recession, it must be accompanied, by definition, by a big upsurge in private spending. The argument must be that improved confidence in the long-run sustainability of public finances would lead to greater private consumption and investment spending now, even if there is no significant effects on interest rates or the exchange rate. I am highly sceptical of this argument, See why it is right for central banks to keep printing in the Financial Times of June the 22nd. But grant that this is true, then the best policy must be to slow the long-term growth in spending on age-related programmes. This comes out clearly from the discussion of such long-term fiscal trends in the excellent new annual report from the Bank for International Settlements. The arguments for a dramatic short-term fiscal contraction, however, are weak. Yes, we are enjoying a recovery, but economies are still far below peak levels of activity and also below almost any plausible estimate of the long-term trend. This is particularly true in the US, where unemployment rates have shot up by far more than in other advanced countries. Unless the US has quite suddenly become continental European, why should equilibrium unemployment have jumped by as much as that? My conclusion, then, is that the advanced countries remain hugely short of demand. In this environment, rapid cuts in fiscal support make sense if and only if monetary policy 
can be effective on its own, and expanding the interest-elastic parts of the economy is the best way to climb out of the hole. There is reason to doubt both of these ideas. At the summit of the group of 20 countries in Canada, leaders pledged to, and I quote, halve fiscal deficits by 2013 and stabilise or reduce government debt-to-GDP ratios by 2016. It will make far better sense for governments to focus their efforts on altering the long-term trajectory of spending. They may hope that retrenchment now will spur on private spending, but what is their plan if it turns out that it does not?